pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quaggett Smith. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Giraffe Rugby Show. I'm your host, Kagi, and tonight we're going to dive into the incredible Wallabies Bledisloe 4 win. Uh, perhaps we'll do a quick wrap of the two Australia XV uh, or Australia A games against Argentina and preview what we can expect from the Pumas against the All Blacks coming up this weekend in their first ever Tri-Nations fixture. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Harry and Nelson. Gentlemen, how are we tonight? Bit of a whirlwind Saturday for both of you, but the Wallabies, they dug deep and they got both the country the win and the big W for your, uh, your late grandfather. Yeah, mate, uh, we're, we're doing well. It was, a, it was a bit of a funny day for us. Uh, you guys were on the way to our house and we got the news that our, our grandpa out of the blue passed away. As out of the blue, you can, when you're 95 years old, he was just an absolute machine. But he, uh, we were saying before the game that he'll get the job done and, and help the Wallabies. So all those 50 kilos of his pushing the scrum <laughs> and uh, you know, lifting the side seemed to, to work for us. Yeah, made it a, a, a much more emotional game. Uh, didn't bet with my uh my heart i bet with my head and uh that was a bit of a kick in the guts to basically lose on the wallabies game again but uh still still feeling pretty positive about the footy yep i feel like you're uh, you're just getting in first because i mentioned i might bring that up uh you thought you beat me to it um and so well done there Nels, did you how about you how did your betting go on the weekend mate um I, I mean, I had such a good week leading up into it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd just take a, take a chance and bet on the underdogs, the Kiwis, and it didn't work for me. Just, so, everyone know, just so everyone knows the trash Nelson is, he'll be constantly checking his phone to see how the origin's going because he, yeah. he watches rugby uh, league, unfortunately. But, yeah, I've, well, I've got a good, good bet going, so it's all right. <clears throat> before, we, um, <clears throat> before we get into it... Oh, jeez. <clears throat> before we get into it, um, let's give a big thanks again to Benny Darwin for joining us on the show last week to preview Bledisloe 4 and cover a wide range of topics um, regarding Australian rugby. Uh, ben literally described the chaos that needed to unfold for us to get a win on the weekend, but I think even he couldn't have imagined uh, what we were in for. So huge uh, credit to Ben, and um, I think we all really enjoyed that podcast. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to well, that podcast, I've got to say, always comments <laughs> aged very well, except for the whole how do we beat them and basically saying it's almost impossible. But other than that, very well. Go back and have a listen. I talked talked a lot about the future of Australian rugby and you know the way forward. So mm. you should see what's happening over at this house. Nelson's dead set, tapping me on the shoulder to look at something, and it's a rugby league try. Like uh, I could give a it's, hell. It's just okay, all right. Harry, turn it off, mate. It's always fine away or something. I don't I just know. Just don't care. It's no union. Have we got a free space? Can we get Mitch Evans or Super Sub on here or something? <laughs> Nelson, you can go watch if you want. That's it. First one to. First one to comment uh, to leave a review on the podcast on iTunes uh, can replace Nelson on the podcast. That's right. Um, now, well, look, speaking of that, if you want to catch this last week's show with Ben Darwin, definitely worth it. There was, as we said, we talked about a lot of stuff, not just Let Us Low 4. Um, you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts or the video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I mention often that Harry and Nelson go to a lot of effort uh, gelling their hair, Nelson oiling the bald head. And um, yeah, anyway, give us a follow, a like, and subscribe wherever you get your pods or on YouTube, please. It goes along. Christmas drive, Christmas drive. Got to get some likes. That's it. That's it. Basically us on all our fake accounts. We need those yeah. dopamine hits. We've um, been, we've been paying just randoms in the street to give us a like. So if that's it. Well, look, I, 
I, I definitely would call you out for your bets on the weekend, but I wouldn't call you guys out for how many Twitter accounts you have. I think that would just be outrageous. So um, anyway, with that, how about we uh, how about we get into the pod and into mm. the game? The Wallabies. Mate. Uh, obviously, we all called it. I think we all tipped a big win to the Wallabies um, last how weekend. Uh, look, 24-22, two tries to the Wallabies to the three from the All Blacks, but uh, Reese Hodges' superior kicking, four penalty goals, getting us over the line. Um, the Wallabies make it seven in a row at Suncorp. How good? Mate, boys, uh, who wants to kick us off? Look, I, I've got an interesting point on the, the seven in a row, boys. Do we think it is because they're dead rubbers? Because it's always a dead rubber when we end up playing our last game and it often ends up in, in Suncorp because our first one's in New South Wales. Or do we think it's just because the boys, you know, lift in Queensland? I think it's seven games in a row, not seven All Blacks. I know, it's still seven games, but there's a, we've got a very good, you know, recent record against the All Blacks too. Yeah, look, I, I think that's definitely part of it. Um, we were definitely benefiting from the All Blacks not being quite in the same headspace that they were the week <clears> before. <throat> but um, it's, a, it's a mighty task to beat them any time. And that was a deadly looking team. So, yeah, I don't think they were quite in the same physical frame of mind they were the week before where they basically made my wet, me wet myself when I watched the Haka with how switched on they were. But um, still a very good result. I think we just we came out so hard so early. We didn't give them the chance to look in that game. Like, similar in the game one at, at large chunks of that, we didn't give them the chance to look good. So, mm. I don't know if they were switched off or not. I mean, I don't think the All Blacks ever switch off. I, I, I mean, I think they were. I mean, they won the physicality battle in game two and three. They didn't look the same in this one, and they had the cattle to do that. I think that's certainly a theme. I think some people have said that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Fozzie had already secured the bled slow. He could experiment a bit. But I think as we all said before this game, um, before the weekend, I thought the team looked possibly the strongest of the teams they put out, really. Uh, so it's not like it was a B-grade team throwing some, um, you know, young youngins in. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think as we talk about the game, the theme of physicality and how the similarities to game one will kind of, um, reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. But, um, Harry, do you want to take us through the casualty ward? Was there any, uh, well, there was no one returning, but, um, what injuries did we get in that one? Uh, so obviously the, the big one was James Slipper on his hundredth test has been an excellent form for us. He dislocated his left elbow just on the stroke of half time, which obviously gave Angus Bell his debut a little bit earlier than expected. Um, dislocated elbow. I mean, Nelson, you've been through something almost as severe yourself. It took you a little while to get back, didn't it? It really ruined my uh, bench press for a long time as well. So. <laughs> I, me. I don't know if you can see the scar, but I, I broke my elbow in you know, eight places or something. Yeah, it was... It was so it's an injury that everyone does, basically, yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> Have you done it? No, no. I haven't. This, 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 this podcast yeah, has made that injury. Now, look, it's it's, it's probably a, you know it's they they it's changing how it's been managed at the moment. I feel like the conservative way is they wake in the brace for four to six weeks and then he gets back over the next four to six from that. So expectation is he's gone. Um, they can operate on them, but I think it's highly unlikely. So more than likely, you'll see him back for uh, the start of Super Rugby next year. And I forgot, I don't know if it's about you guys, but half, after the game, um, class move from the All Blacks, I think they did it for Hooper's 100th as well, but they presented Slipper, Sam Kane presented Slipper with a really nice magnum of some New Zealand wine. But I had forgotten that earlier in the game, it was Slipper and Sam Kane who were yeah. right in each other's faces looking for to get it on. It was good. They they chose not to put the microphone up, the phone up to Sam Kane this week to ask him what kind of wine it was as well. After <laughs> with Hooper, he just goes, I don't know, red? <laughs> I don't know where it's from. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, still, it's, it's a great part of rugby for it sure. Was. Yeah. 
Uh, look, the other ones are obviously the red cards. So we'll get to them. Swinton and Ofatou Ngafase. Uh, Swinton, <clears throat> four-week ban. Originally six weeks downgraded because of a couple of previous incidents. And uh, Ofar was six down to three. So three-week ban for him. So both of those guys won't be seen in the uh, Tri-Nations again, which is disappointing because, to be honest, they put some of the biggest hits on out of anyone in, in international rugby right now. So I was thoroughly enjoying watching both of them. Yeah, I agree. Um, Excellent. Yeah, we roll into the game. The possession was 55% to the Wallabies and territory 48%. So we had more ball, less territory, which isn't necessarily what you think of, of when you think of Kiwis. Generally, they, they get you know the ball and get into our, our zone pretty quickly and score. They're not necessarily hovering around in our half for too long because they're generally lethal within our, our uh, side of the field. Um, big moments. I think I'll, I'll just touch on that that first really big moment. It caught us all by surprise. Two minutes into the game, uh, the Wallabies were looking pretty sharp, looking motivated. Patea bumping off Anton Leonard-Brown uh, as he caught the ball. Then gave the, we got the ball out to Hodge. Hodge did that little chip. We had three or four guys running through. Everyone wanted the ball. Like It just seemed like it had to be planned. Everyone was there ready to go. The ball set up. Hit hit space first of all, perfect right? bounce. Yeah, it, but it, he hit space. It wasn't into you know someone's hands. It wasn't a contestable ball in the sense that you know there's a kiwi there. It was it was a perfect kick, perfectly timed, and we had a couple guys running through. I think it was uh, Banks ended up getting his hand on it and flung the ball out to to give uh, right Tom Wright his first touch and his first try in the uh, Wallabies gold stepping in i think inside mm. uh seven no it must be must have been Yuani on that side stepped inside and uh scored but you know very very solid classy start for the Wallabies definitely caught the All Blacks off guard wasn't what they were expecting and that's what how you need to hit the All Blacks i think it looked like it was a. It literally looked like mm. it was an all black move. Like you've seen Richie Moanga do that, and Bowden Barrett do that a hundred times. Um, yeah, the week before, a hundred times, yeah, week and the week before. Yeah, as well. yeah. 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 For sure. Um, but but nobody happened. expected it out of Hodge either. You know, we, I, I don't think anyone expected it. We we thought he's one of his downfalls could be the short kicking game. Um, we all know he can kick the ball three hundred meters. So um, he caught them off guard, and it just worked perfectly. It was a really work, well worked try. I think, uh, look, we talk more on Hodge, but I just, I'm sure I'll forget later. So one of my favourite comments uh, post this game was Squidge Rugby, um, just saying that with every metre further away from the goalposts, Reese Hodge's kicking uh, percentage goes up 1%. So he's 100% from outside the stadium, basically. Um, I thought that was, that was quality. Uh, true as well. But God, he's got a cannon on him, does he? Massive. Look, obviously a couple other big ones, as I touched on before. Red cards are offer for his high shot, 22 minutes in. I, I thought it was really interesting how the All Blacks tried to play the game from that point when they were going to be a man down. All of a sudden, they literally were putting no one into the rucks, but the tackler at almost every ruck was having a go at the ball. So they competed really heavily with the one man they were putting in. Everyone just fanned out. So they had a really clear plan of how they wanted to play in that situation, which I think probably wouldn't have been quite as well organised if it was the Wallabies in that situation. It obviously allowed us to get a little bit of momentum. I think we're up 8-5 after that as well. And the and credit to the All Blacks, they stayed in it. They got a penalty their own way, 8-all. And then you see, uh, obviously, Swinton, who had put on something like seven, six or seven huge hits <laughs> in the first 30 minutes and was just laying people out, which was... He, I think it, oh, 
I think it was really, really good to say. Forty-five percent dominant tackles, um, yeah, which yeah. is the highest in the game. But he yeah. put a he put two dominant tackles, I think, on Sevilla. Yeah. Like absolutely dominant, and he killed Sam Kane. Sam Kane. Yeah, and Sam Whitelock. And Sam Whitelock. Like he even got Bowden once as well. Didn't kill him, but he got Bowden, yeah, which yeah. is what all I wanted to say. He, exactly what we wanted from him when he came in. It's something you know that physicality we Almost haven't seen exactly. Thirty-four no, minutes until he no, no. got. Red card until he got red card. Well, look, we, we said all... there, there, there is a limit to um, even the biggest visionary of, co- of coaches, and we said that um, the biggest masterstroke that could have possibly happened was after Offer's red card. Twenty-two minutes into the game, would have been Rennie to just take off Swinton, just sub on yeah. Liam Wright. You know that would have been that would have been a masterclass right there. Yeah. But um, no, I think look, you guys put bets on the game. I think we talked about it before. It was really how long until he gets a red card, and will it be worth it? Is what we were saying. We said, look, if he kills Bowden Barrett, 100% worth it. Look, I, I think we can say in this one, it's worth it only because we got away with it. We, as in, we got the win. If, if we didn't... Oh, I, was in a world, I was in a world of hurt when that red card happened. Oh, mate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, that was a pretty, pretty stressful uh, moment when that happened. But look, uh, he brought what we wanted. He had a misguided tackle there because he came in with 100% aggression uh, into Sam Whitelock. And Sam Whitelock, I think, is three inches taller than him, maybe... I think he's three inches taller than him. And he was squatting at the knees. Uh, even uh, um, Swinton was squatting down at the knees. But apparently there was no mitigating factors. Look, I think you can't hit someone in the head. But if someone is three inches taller than you and your knees are bent, I'm surprised that the other guy doesn't have his knees bent. Well, look, let's, let's not talk over too long. It's been addressed in the press all week and um, whatever I was just going to say. Obviously, I think we're all in consensus that they were red cards by yep. the law. Um, and that's, look, you know, lots of chat about it ruining the game, things like that. I think certainly there's been a lot of talked about perhaps we need to change to a 20-minute card and that player can't return. Something like that is something we could look at. But I think we all agree it was a red card and that needed to needed to happen and that needs to be the rule, basically. Yep. Yeah, let's change the law, but we've talked about that every time a red card happens, don't we? Um, look, in, in terms of Swinton's physicality, I also thought really worth noting Harry Wilson... I don't think he was a long way behind. And I think in every single one of the four games, I've been really impressed with just how physical he was putting shots on people. I agree. And he was, you know, Swinton made six or seven. I, I reckon Wilson would have made five. You know, like he, he was putting a lot of big hits on. <coughs> I just love watching him play. He's delivering exactly what is needed right now. And I reckon he's been the most impressive forward along with, I reckon he's got his nose in front of Matt Phillip for me yep. for the most impressive forward for the Wallabies out of those four games. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fair. Uh, he's been absolutely brilliant in both sides of the ball, I think. As, as I said last week, I think it was, he's coming real close to, uh, to becoming my new favourite player in front of Taniela Tupo, which is going to be really tough to do, but wow. Um, but just... also, how, talking about how we won the physicality, I mean, having two hitmen out there in that first 10, just like the, the, the All Blacks are starting to look over their shoulder. You know what I mean? They're starting to feel that, pre- that pressure a little bit. Um, most, most of the time, the biggest teams you can think about over the last 20 years have always had one hitman. They've had Jerry Collins. They've had Kano. They've had whatever. But having, having a few, um, obviously, we're going to get on to Korobiti, the, the flying missile coming at you. The backs aren't alone. They're terrified as well. Um, huge. So I love it. I going to say the perfect segue on so many levels. Marika Korobiti's defense. Oh my God. I've said it every, every platform I can. I don't think there's ever been a better defensive display from a winger. 
Yeah, you know, there, there's some international, you know, uh, Pocock's game against South Africa comes to mind about some in, in that semi final, I think. Individually it was winning a semi final. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, that, that's probably the best offensive game I can remember from a single player ever. But this is easily the best offensive display I can remember from a winger. The first minute to the eighth, 80th minute, mm. with an exception of a small rest he had, which we won't, we won't uh, look at. What? He he was flying out of the line, chasing kicks, putting shots on. I think four or five occasions, he was the guy shooting out to try and hit an outside back that was catching the ball, who on every occasion, I reckon, had probably a, a time to take a step. But he just cleaned them up with 100% accuracy. And then he was back turning over the ball for what was the only other massive moment in this game, which was that game win and play. Shot yeah. out of line, made the tackle, came back, and then pilfered the ball straight after. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's worth worth noting that last tackle, you know, that, that last phase, they got the ball out wide to DMAC with space. He had space. You know, when he touched that ball, you know, it was probably 10 metres in front of him, but Cora Beattie was already running 10, 10 metres every half second by the time he bloody got to him. He was just ready to cream him. And and then to get back up and, and you know, interrupt that, that next phase and, and make another tackle, absolutely think- stellar. Yeah, look, it, he, he was incredible. But I think what I was discussing with Harry is just how difficult that is mm. to be at max speed and launch yourself uh, and just hit the target every time. And he was crushing people. He took Jordy names, Barrett. mate. He knocked over Anton <laughs> Leonard Brown. Geordie Barrett's so big that it made it look like it wasn't a massive hit. He smashed Geordie Barrett. You know, he smashed everyone. Um, he ran down awesome. Sevier Reese running down the trial line and bumped him out. Like, oh, yeah. That was, oh, my, that was probably one of my favourite things. Oh, that was awesome. two, two blokes who <clears throat> completely backed themselves, Sever Reese and Corabetti, and seeing <clears throat> him run him down, that was fantastic. I love that. But, um, we, um, we, you know, I, I just want to keep talking about his defence, to be honest. But, <laughs> you know, you rightly said before the podcast, Kagi, we can't, like, we don't even realise because his defence was so good, he still made 11 runs for 100 metres with three tackle busts as well. Mm-hmm. He was still, the, had the most runs in the game. Is that right? <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Uh, definitely the Wallabies. I think the game as well. Yep. Yeah. D- don't, don't forget, he also, he was in the scrum. He was a flanker. That's <laughs> the hardest one to feel, guys. That just confirmed. No, he's definitely top run is in the game. Incredible. But um, I think, look, speaking of defence, wrapping up defence, Reese Hodge, particularly those first 10 to 20 minutes. Mm. um, There's been a lot talked about on other podcasts about how Reese Hodges came in, just did the essentials. You know what I mean? Didn't, it wasn't uh, fancy playmaking. I mean, look, that Mm. kick was unbelievable skill, but God, he made some tackles. I think in the first 10, he made probably about seven tackles, it felt Mm. like. Um, And they're all excellent tackles. You know, Mm. it's just great. He really shored up the, the that back line. You know? He shored up them in defence. He was defending well in that, that inside channel. He made the decision to rush across field and another opportunity, things like that. He was, he was just making the right choices. He was making his tackles. He didn't get his hands on the ball as much as you'd expect from a 10. Um, sometimes he chose to run it. Sometimes he chose to pass. I think he only made seven passes or something along those lines. But he, he really made that back line you know, stable in both sides of the ball. For me, I think he's done enough, you know, to be somewhere in that starting side, whether it's 15, you know, he's a perfect 23. I, I get it, but this is the big question, right? So I'm assuming most of our listeners listen to other podcasts and things as well. Blasphemy, I know. Um, so the discussion is clearly, is he a 10 or not? So <clears throat> guys, I just want a yes or no. We won't go into the depths of it here. Yes or no. Is he your 10 next, next game, Argentina? James O'Connor will be available. I'll put that out there. 
And obviously you've got uh, a couple of young blokes hanging around as well. So Nelson, yes or no? Is he your 10 next week? Do I get justified afterwards? No. No. Okay. Kagi? No. And I'm going to go no as well. Phenomenal, phenomenal uh, control boot. But uh, yeah, no. Yeah, he's, he's not the guy there going forward. Um, sadly, he, he used we used him well this week. And I mean, he, he's such a great player. I think he's probably a 15 I, I don't actually mind him at the thought of the 12 as well because he was quite good in that, the inside channel. Can I, can I say, though, what I will say is, for me, he's <clears> up, <throat> up, it's James O'Connor, then Reese Hodge for mine at 10, and then the, the, the youngins. That's for my opinion. But also, we've seen over the last few years, sometimes teams have you know, a more offensive-based, uh, skill, skillful-based 10, and they have kind of a more just structured, defensive, does the basics really well, 10. And they run them out for different games. That This happens a lot more in the Northern Hemisphere. But um, like Reese Hodge is someone I'd love to play at 10 against you know England, against uh, Ireland, against some of these countries. Just absolutely hammer people and kick the ball to the other corner end of the field. You know what I mean? I, I would love to have him in the back pocket to start at 10 in some certain tests. So... I, I think um, Morgan Turanui said that he reminded him the only other player you can think that might have had a similar skill set at 10 was Butch James. And I thought it was an excellent, excellent comparison. Butch James, obviously a pretty well decorated number 10. I can say that I never liked Butch James at 10. I never thought that he was a great 10. And I know I'm going to frustrate South African fans. He, he was very well accomplished, but I just never saw him there as a world-class player. Did you guys think differently? No. I, I, I was hoping he was going to... I thought this is going to be a stretch and you're going to give me some flack for it, but I was hoping he was going to draw a, some kind of reference to Andre Pollard. Just uh, yeah, he basically said, no, I don't think he's got the same skill set. No, um, no. Andre Pollard is, definitely has... Basically has both. Has the skills and can yeah. play, you know. But um, anyway... Well, let's, let's you just last thing touching on Hodge, what Sorry, position yeah. would you put him in, Harry? Uh, what's his best position? Probably 15. Craig's? Probably 15. Do we think he's done more and has earned a right at that 15 seeing it? Tom Banks said he's better probably, game. Actually, you know what? I, right now, <clears> I'd <throat> probably play him at 13 because I don't think Bataille deserves to be in the starting team. I, I'm never picking anyone over Bataille at 13. And he's not a 13. I don't see him there. Anyway, I, the last, sorry, last, last point on Hodge was oh. I, I was surprised by his skills. There was once or twice he ripped a ball out in front and it was re- some really nice passes out in front of Paisami. Didn't know he had that in him. Thought it was a bit more of a shovel, but um, so good on him. But uh, yep. the last, let's move on. Last big moments of the game. Uh, look, I, I think one one we'll touch on here, and we don't need to spend as much time on because it wasn't an Aussie, was uh, that late try by Tupo Vaya. Um, it really, I think it flattered the All Blacks. I think we all think that. Um, it was quite soft. The Wallabies just didn't seem to be in position to shut that down. There was nothing special about Liam that. Right. Missed the last it was, He's not comfortable. It was Liam Wright. He shot it. out of the line, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. He just completely misread it. So I think that's just inexperience in the team, to be honest with you. Yep. Yep. And uh, last one was uh, starting debut, Akira Yuwani, uh, my boy. Only got he had 20. a very good stint. He had a very good stint. Cool. Unfortunately, only got 28 minutes due to the red card. He was the one to come off. And, I mean, that's an obvious call when you... <clears> when you that's it. He, take, he won't be. Uh, he, he won't be sending off. Uh, on, he won't be sending off for a Christmas card. That's for sure. I agree. <laughs> he will. He will not. All right. Uh, I'll start us off with some of the attacking stats. I was just going to um, say before, oh yeah, before that, you know, we were talking a little bit about Hodge and how he played at ten. I thought 
the massive shout out should go to Nick White. I thought, to be honest, he was way too frantic in the first ten <clears> minutes. Oh yeah, threw the ball away a lot. Oh yeah, but at the same yeah, but at the same time, I think that the Wallabies very clearly played off nine a heck of a lot and looked for their forwards to truck up the ball. And I think he was playing playmaker. He put some box <clears> kicks <throat> up. I think he was an absolute pest, and I loved oh, watching so him good. just wind up the entire All Blacks team. I actually thought, with the exception of those turnovers, he was excellent. Yeah, the, the turnovers for me are, are too big. Like you, you can't, you know, just wipe them off the, you know, off the board and say that they didn't happen. He was just throwing the ball, you know, willy nilly early in that game when it didn't need to happen. He needed to be, I think, the calming head there at nine, especially with yeah. you know ball being played off him. I think it was, you know pretty critical um, and could have turned very ugly for us with some of those, those balls, but boy, the rest of the game, he was awesome. His, his kick was back that, that niggle, the ability to slow down and prevent, you know, quick, quick penalties, things like that. That was going to be my point. The niggle, mate, boy, did he get under their skin? I mean, have you ever, like, I remember, was it last week he tried, was it him or whoever came on afterwards, tried to get under TJ. I think it was Nick White tried to get under TJ's skin and TJ, the next play, just bumped him off, sent him flying over a run oh, yeah. the sideline. So this week, wow, he was giving it to TJ. And I have to say, this is probably one of the least polished performances you've seen from TJ um, mm. in a while. So and I, definitely I, won the battle there. I want to get out ahead of some of the Twitter comments. Mm. Yes, it is excellent when a wallaby like Nick White has been a grub. And no, it's not okay when John <laughs> Moody or Dane Coles do it. Correct. Straight Absolutely. up. Just want to clarify that. Yes. I agree. Sure. We love we love Wallaby Grubbery. Um, stats, sorry, Greg. So I cut you off on your stats, mate. The stats. Um, run meters, 105 runs for 633 meters for the Wallabies, 96 runs for 514 meters for the All Blacks. That so they, yeah, so they oh, the Wallabies did have more possession, didn't they? That's right. Um, All Blacks rolling mall was excellent. Uh, the Wallabies worked overtime uh, only to concede one try to it. The try, I remember that uh, it kind of really... I didn't really understand it. A lot of the Wallabies kind of drove around the side to the right and then just kept going. I, I don't well past the ball. No, I, no, I mean, Nelson's probably in the best position to tell us about about this in, in terms of his understanding because I know he loves a bit of a rolling mall try and trick play. But I think it's more about the fact that the Wallabies not jumping the contest most of the rolling malls. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly quick to hit that, that rolling mortal, stop it from moving forwards. But the All Blacks are clearly playing for a tactic to try and roll it to one side, to mm. shift the point of of, uh, of where the pressure is at. Yeah. And I think that's more of what happened, you know. The Wallabies hit that first rolling mall kind of push head on, and then the All Blacks shifted it around to one side and managed to roll around the outside of them. That, that's the way I see it. I mean, teams are going to predict, and, you know, Wallabies know a driving mall is coming there and setting themselves to try and stop that. So there's no point just running directly into them and trying to drive straight. You know, you, you're trying to shift that point of reference, whether it's through a pass or whether it's through, in this instance, you know, twisting that, you know, twisting around the, the side. So the Wallabies are probably so, you know, pumped to get into there and drive it and stop it that they're not reacting quick enough with that, that twist. So how, what do they have to do to try and stop that? You know, is it just simply like resetting and getting around to that side or is, it, is there more nuance to it? <clears throat> I think it's it's probably it's a difficult one. It, it's a it's they talk about the dark arts in in scrums, and I think you know. I just want you to explain it. I don't want you to use some throwaway line where you just say I don't know, and I'm just going to say something like that. No, no, I was going to say. It. I was going to say it. It depends on what you think the intent from the other team is. 
If you think their intent is to drive straight and all you're worrying about is getting in there as quick as possible, you're going to be setting up as quick as possible. If you're assuming that they're going to try to change that and pivot that point, you know, you can get yourself set a little bit better. And it's not about hitting it as quick as you can and driving straight through the middle. It's about actually getting a real good, a little bit broader platform. So you, if, whether it's you've got three at the front, two behind, one behind, one behind, or you're going three, two, two, it's the actual intent of what you think the other team's going to try and do there and how you're going to set it up. But I think, you know, there's a couple of times we get caught, a guy tries to stay in it too long. He's not wrapping around the back and getting himself back engaged quick enough as well. And look, for those who didn't understand and what Nelson was going about. Uh, it's a simple game of checkers. You know what I mean? You've you got, got to make a choice. It's just as simple as you've got to choose whether you jump at the line out to contest or not. Um, you've got to make a choice where to hit that and where to, to put all your players. And sometimes you get it wrong. As also, the Brumbies proved uh, in, in Super Rugby AU, you know, if you get yeah. really, really good at it, you can be unstoppable. Um, so yeah. the, the issue really is there's a lot of doubt in the mind of the Wallabies of what the All Blacks are going to do, even though they think the driving more is coming. You know, you... You've seen uh, on a few occasions through the Bledisloe, we've seen them do the, the ball where they sort of, the, the guy at the back passes off to the first receiver who pops it back inside to the hooker running around or whoever it might be. There's a lot of things that could potentially happen there. So there's a lot of things in the Wallabies' minds. We're just picking a choice and, and we're not necessarily getting it right 100% of the time. But the All Blacks are a brilliant side. They're going to be very, very hard to stop there. I loved to see when we had um, uh, Matt Phillip actually get up in their face, make the decision to try and disrupt the ball. And that worked brilliantly for us when regularly we're not doing that. Yeah, I mean, you get it wrong and, and you're basically conceding the try, though, against the Gorilla and side. But that was very good on the stroke of halftime. Yep. Well, I, think, I, think, I think it's fair to say it's probably not something the Wallabies practiced a lot. And what I mean by that is they wouldn't have prioritised it because the All Blacks haven't exactly used the rolling mall as a, as a weapon all that much. You know what I mean? Just in terms of, obviously, they would have practised it, but just it's not a priority, I'd say. So um, anyway, with that, shall we move on to defence? Uh, one other thing I wanted to point out was how frantic did both teams look? Obviously, yeah. I think this comes down to the cohesion and you know maturity of both teams. But man, especially when it went down to 14-14, or even when the the um, All Blacks first got their red card, both teams were in an absolute <clears throat> panic. It's yeah. it's the speed that they you know it's it's not just the cohesion, right? It's the speed of them wanting to play. For some reason, they're going. We need to get the ball out quick. We need to you know keep the the, the ball moving rapidly. Yeah, and that's where the errors creep into it. That's where Nick White ends up throwing the ball. You know, silly passes, things like that that gets intercepted. You don't see England, South Africa, those those dominant kind of controlled teams Stable do that teams. at all. I think I was going to say, I think we, it's easy for us to forget that we play the fastest rugby on this planet, Australia and New Zealand. Those colour glasses, I'm sorry. It no, was frantic, disorganised. It wasn't good, fast rugby. We had no idea what we were doing. We are just trying to score off every play because they were down a man. And the All Blacks, for some reason, decided that they were going to try and ramp the tempo, their tempo up and play counter-attacking rugby. Like, it was disorganised chaos. I agree. No, absolutely. I'm just saying that I think it's easy to forget um, that we we play such fast rugby and it's hard to get that right. You we we, I mean? we do we do play rapid rugby. I think that's global rapid it, rugby or yeah, that's one of the the main things I think that we've we've got wrong repetitively 
through this Spurs low series because it happened in game two, it happened in game three, and it happened in game four, yet we, we got away with it this time because the All Blacks seemed to be frantic like they normally control it, but they were just frantic rather than quick. You know, just right. throwing things that didn't need to be thrown. I, yep. just, I think it just comes down to picking and choosing your times, right? There's a time to counterattack. There's a time to offload. You don't have to offload it every time. And at times, you just need to hold onto the ball, reset, and then punt the ball down the field, play some field position. But that wasn't what we are doing. Was- I think, yeah, we're, you know, we uh, perhaps um, do this more, more than they do, particularly with such a young side. But the All Blacks, I think, getting such an early red card felt they had to just try anything and everything. They felt they had to do too much. Um, and that's what resulted in those, that frantic 10 minutes, I'd say. It kind of reminded me about when they were down in that first test as well, though. They had this I, this, this lack of composure that I'm not used to seeing from the All Blacks. And again, sure. I think it comes down to they're just not as good as they have been. And and don't get me wrong, I don't want to upset Kiwi fans. They're still better than us. But um, they're just not the same side they were a few years ago. Mm. Absolutely. All right, let's do penalties conceded. Uh, for once, the Wallabies conceded less penalties than the All Blacks. How good. Um, man of the match, Nick Berry, uh, the referee. Um, are we being biased, perhaps? Uh, no, I actually thought the game was well officiated. Uh, don't know if that's because we won. Uh, I would have to think about it and watch it again. Okay. Harry, you watched the game again. What did you think of the officiating? Uh, it didn't upset me. And I don't think that was because, you know, there, there was no bad calls against us. And there, were, there also weren't a few moments where I went, oh, my God, how did we get away with that? In the <clears> third <throat> test where we got smoked, I was cheering about how much I thought we got the rub of the green in the first half and we still got hammered. But in this one, I don't think that was the case. I, I actually thought he reffed it quite well. I, I think it was a, there, there was no bias to one side, but I did think, for the first time in this Burslow series, we saw a few of the tactics that the All Blacks normally deploy close to their line, hands on the ball, off their feet, that sort of stuff getting pinged. And when that stuff didn't go their way, you know, they, they didn't know how to react to it. Um, but it was, it was interesting to see that stuff get pinged. That was a big momentum shift, seeing Artie Sevilla get pinged going for the ball when he clearly had no rights to it. They had yep. gotten away with that in every single game multiple times. Well, I was about to say, he still got away with it in this game. I, I think for, for mine, that's been the most annoying penalty that uh, teams have been getting away with, which is just not get, coming in from the side and not getting, you know, not, you know, not releasing, I guess, um, you know, particularly for mine, it's not, it's coming in from the side. It's not getting all the way back and going around the gate and scramble D. Yeah. Uh, the All Blacks have got away with that a few times, um, but look, we certainly got away with some stuff this, this week. Absolutely. So uh, look, we don't have the actual tackle percentages this week. I don't know why. Can't bloody find the stats. Um, but those down. Fox Sports don't do them. But what I can tell you is it's a lot higher than it was last week. Um, I think that's a given. <laughs> um, even though the boy, we said last week they were trying to make massive hits, but they were just missing them all. They were going high on everything. Still going high on a lot of tackles here, but they were making them all. Uh, but look, importantly, I think, for example, Reese Hodge making all these tackles, they're all just textbook tackles. If you want to learn how to tackle, just Player Cam Reese Hodge. That was fantastic for me. Yeah, Kirby. <laughs> oh, okay, or Kirby. Yeah, <laughs> um, set piece, how do you guys feel? Obviously, line outs and scrums, I feel like we had a pretty decent day. The Phillip turnover at halftime was big. 
Rob Simmons came into the line out with the injury to Lucan Salakai Loto. And, uh, and I think he hadn't, he definitely sturdied up our, our line out as well. I know that uh, Nelson mentioned Swinton was jumping at the, the first pod and uh, was being used pretty heavily at the front in his 30 good. minutes he as took well. At least, at least three or four yep. lineouts. And, yeah. and Clay, well, well, and quick. yeah, I think he was yeah. relatively He, he shoots up into the air really quickly, yeah. And he gets the ball out quick. Um, look, I, I, the, one of the highlights for, for me was was the scrum. By the time we had um, Angus Bell come on early at, at that 40th sort of minute, then we had um, Taniel Tupo come on maybe 10 to 15 minutes later. Um, and we had that try against Alex Hodgman and Tyrell Lomax. Um, and how good was try, it? Scrum, it's been scrum penalty. Head. It, it should have been. It was worth a try, basically. It should be. It should be worth yeah, points. Yeah. It was. It was that good. So we had that. We had the tight head. Oh, it was a penalty. Sorry, it was a penalty, and Hodge kicked it. Yeah. And so Angus Bell just absolutely creamed Tyrell Lomax, the Aussie who's gone over to New Zealand because his dad was from New Zealand. Um, but I would love to say New Zealand, you can keep him. We have Angus Bell, we don't need him. And we have Tony Tupo, we definitely don't need him. But it was great to see two relatively young Aussie props, one ex- extremely young, to be fair, just absolutely dominant in that scrum. Um, and the energy it actually gave the Wallabies was massive. For, for me, I, I, as a forward, Craigs will probably feel the same thing. You know, if you're winning a, a tight head or a penalty scrum, Against a, a team when the game's close, it is a massive pump up and it is a it is a massive mood lifter for the entire team. Mate, particularly when you're winning a scrum that dominantly, it was um, huge. I was like, are you, Nelson, you mentioned Angus Bell's young. He's twenty, absolutely, just turned twenty. Tupo's still only twenty-four. All mm-hmm. I'm going to say is, World Rugby, good luck trying to scrum against that front row over the next ten years, mate. We'll yeah, look, Angus Bell, you can lock him in for the next three World Cups. And <laughs> you can lock him in for two World Cups. So, mm. Oh, it's huge. Least no, that was for the world. Absolutely. And we'll talk about both of their games a little bit later um, when we're talking about players that impressed. Um, kicking, I thought, uh, look, the main one I called out, um, and I think it was, again, talked about in another podcast, but Reese Hodges' kicking was great. He missed that first penalty goal. Mm. Obviously, he was too close. <laughs> Needs to take it back an extra 10, 15 metres. Um, but for mine, it wasn't just uh, penalty goals. It was his clearance kick. Mm. He, um, you know, while he's under pressure, about five minutes out from the line, don't know if it was set pace or not, Reese Hodge standing on the dead ball line, kicks at a flush 50. Just click, uh, sorry, 60 or whatever. From dead ball line, it, it went mm. out at about the halfway mark. Yes, they took it a quick throw, but um, that is invaluable. I think, um, I think it was Morgan Tuanui that pointed out he thinks that the ball went out and it's probably a fair point, a little bit closer than that. And the All Blacks were keen to do a quick line out. Um, and oh, that- actually, I, I just listened to the pod today. He did say that, but I'm with Benny. Benny, Benny Kimber was saying he reckons it was closer to the 50. I, I'm fairly certain it was about the 50. I thought it was a big kick. It was huge. But that is just, you just can't like, you can't express how valuable that the, is. The ability to diffuse that situation and get so far from your line mm. and make sure it's out is just such a massive thing for the Wallabies. And I like diffusing situations. Uh, yeah, I thought that as well. Uh, and I've got to say, um, you know, for some reason, people keep saying, why doesn't he kick for touch? I reckon yeah. Banks' penalty kicks for touch are phenomenal. Yeah. 
we can't discredit how many meters he takes there. And it's one of the biggest reasons that I like him over DHP at the moment is he just has the, the gut. Don't get me wrong. I think Hodge probably could kick further, but Banks has the balls doing well. to kick 50 meters for every penalty. It's huge. And still get it out. Yeah. Most no, I, I agree. I think, yeah, Morg's kind of, I think he was, you know, didn't do uh, Tom Banks justice there. Tom Banks yeah. kicking for touch for the Brumbies this year mm. had been amazing. You know, he'd really been putting it down the five meter line from about 50 out. So I think just that, that one, two, four, he's got like that AFL drop punt, just straight forward. Absolutely brilliant from Banks. So um, yeah, anyway, it's great to have both options, isn't it? It's great to have some kicking options rather than the old Bernard Foley 20 meter touch finder. Uh, <laughs> so, how good. All right. Well, <clears throat> before we jump into the good players, the great mm. players who we've kind of already talked about a little bit, uh, the bad. So um, who wants to, uh, who was bad in this game? Who kind of stood out as not having a great one? I mean, I'm just going to give a second shout out to Tyrell Lomax. Um, but, uh, as, as I said, mate, he saw Taniela Tupo, uh, you know, when he was in probably high school. And the second he signed in Australia, he went, I guess I should move to New Zealand probably. Yeah. Um, that's what he was thinking. I, I wanted to say, I thought I continue to be disappointed this year. Maybe it's just because of the outrageous talents they are of people like Sebu Reese and Damien McKenzie. Sebu Reese in, in particular in this game Gave away a few penalties where he was just so clearly in the wrong trying to have a go at the ball in Iraq that it, it just looked like he didn't... It, was, it looked like when Israel Folau first came over from Rugby League and had no idea what was going on in Iraq and just constantly get, got pinged. He was still reasonable, Sebu Reese, in, uh, in attack, <clears throat> but again, didn't bump off the same amount of people that I'm used to him seeing. He had his opportunity with Corabetti chasing and couldn't finish. Didn't look like he was close to finishing either. He was not as good as I thought he'd be when he got a sniff for that jersey. It's, yeah, it's an interesting thing for me with, with Severis. He is an absolute a br- brilliant attacking player and can he, he can put some massive hits on in defence. Mm, can hit. I, I do think in terms of his smarts, like the decisions he made around the breakdown and, and getting involved at certain times in that game were clearly wrong and were very wrong for me. And uh, for me, it makes me feel a little bit has he always been blessed by people around him? So he hasn't had to worry about making those decisions. You know what I mean? Like when you play for the Crusaders or you play for the All Blacks in the last couple of years, you generally don't have to make those decisions because you've got everyone else around you making those decisions. So had he not been found out about this until now, is it actually going to be something, if they're not as dominant, will we see this more from him? Did Ian Foster think this already? And that's why he hadn't been, you know, starting over the, the recent sort of month. Uh, I'm I'm not too sure, but it was interesting for me that I think he didn't seem on as much as he normally did. He was devastating in attack, even mm. though he didn't seem visually like he was. He got six tackle busts, eight runs for, I think it was 71 run meters. But yeah, I, I don't know. It wasn't all there this week for me. Yeah, I agree. I think, look, I think we were going to absolutely trash him until we did check the stats just to, to I mean, I don't remember him getting those six tackle busts or going for... Uh, the meters we can put down to that long sprint where Corabetti knocks him out, but um, yeah, yeah, I think I think you could be right. He could be. He might have just been. This is the first time he is getting found out a little bit wanting, um, because when you're in such a dominant team and you're a winger, particularly, all you got to mm. do is finish. You know what I mean? You kind of given everything, served everything up on a silver I, platter. Yes, I, he does I, some freakish stuff with it, but I'm just going to calm us down a little bit. I don't think we can take that much away from his <laughs> last year. 
He was outrageous. Yeah, but he was outrageous because of his energy oh. and his effort, right? Yeah, yeah. Not, not because I'm not of saying he was smart in the ruck, but let's not say it was I because think... he was on the end of a Crusaders team. He was outrageous. No, no, no don't know. get me wrong. He's outrageous. I think what I want to do is I want to, I want to go back and watch uh, the All Blacks lost to England and see uh, how he went in that game. That's I think will be telling. But otherwise, look, don't be wrong. I mean, Seven Reese is oh, unbelievable. Great. We still don't understand how he's the size he is, yet he sends players flying into the atmosphere. See you, Quagga Smith. You're in our our intro, you're in our podcast intro permanently for that. Um, Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, moving on. Uh, All right, well, any Wallabies that didn't have a good game? Obviously, Swinto had a red card, but I mean, look, we've talked about it, had a good game other than that. Mm. Um, It's a a hard one. I, I don't think for me anyone really stood out as bad games, so maybe there's only bad moments. You know, Swinton, that, that red card was a bad moment. Um, Corabidi, I mean, he didn't need to put his hands on that ball, but he was in a ruck and he was dominating the ruck. He wasn't far off being able to pick that ball up. That was a mistake for me, but that that wasn't, you know, an extremely bad one. That, 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 that card was more for um, was repeated infringements. Yeah. yeah, but it was watched, still silly. I no, it was, it was still silly. Well. I thought that was fair play. I think that fullback was still there. I think there was a player still involved in the ruck off his feet. Yeah, I, I don't was know. one player on it was, laying down. Where, and the where was the ball? It was a bit of a theme oh, of that, though, if you think about it, Nels. Do you remember how many times... There's just mm, people laying there. Nels, do you remember how many times you and I were yelling off the couch, uh, the rucks formed, and yet they just the, a few times the All Blacks just kind of came over and picked it up? Yeah. So there was a few times that um, we got pinged for that, certainly. Um, and this was one of them. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, obviously, Corabetti's enthusiasm has no limits um but i think it still was a penalty and fair enough with the repeated infringements in our half um the card was deserved i thought but yeah um i I think the last one i wanted to touch on in i don't think he he really had the chance but a guy that's probably been talked up uh, a little bit as well is liam wright that defensive read was was really bad that's for me there's been a couple moments over this blederslow where i think he's been shown that he's lacking in, in a few things. I, I think he's a really, really good player. I think it's awesome that he's added the ability to play six to his game. I, I think he's a really good back rower to have um, on the, the bench. Yeah, I was going to say, go on. Is this the clap back? Go on. The clap back. Go on, boys. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> can you get what it was? Tell me. Come on. Tell R- us. We, we were listening to Rugby Fixation and great podcast, boys. If, if, if you haven't uh, had a listen, give him a listen. Um, but there was a quote in that that I think they said, you know, they disagreed with us that Fraser McWright, you know, is the is the guy coming through that back rower flanker coming through, um, and that they thought Liam Wright was the guy to do that. I look, I think fundamentally they're very different players. Liam Wright can cover six, Fraser McWright can't. So if you need to have one on the bench and you need that versatility, fair enough. But the quote for me, and I I, I hate to do it that they were almost as good as each other at getting the turnover and the pilfer. So we've done a little bit of an assessment here. You know, maybe this is a bit of Mitch Evans coming out on us. His, his little diagrams uh, and things he's been doing in, in recent weeks, which have been awesome. Follow him on Twitter. But we've done the, the amount of turnovers, the amount Just of minutes it. and minutes. Minute, yeah, minute give, give us a stats. So Fraser McWright gets a turnover every 34 minutes. Liam Wright gets a turnover every 66 minutes. So, therefore, Fraser McWright gets almost the double, double the turnover. So, they're not very similar. 
Yeah, 19 and 12 for the season, but literally the hit rate is almost twice as often. Yep, and Hooper gets one every 77 minutes. So Fraser McWright gets more than double Hooper. And and just you want you need to to give the context that um, Fraser McWright did play uh, not too many less minutes. Yeah, 660 yeah. minutes compared to 797 from Liam Wright and 616 for Hooper. And uh, Fraser McGuire also makes double the carries. He makes one every 10 minutes compared to one every 20 minutes. And he makes slightly more tackles per match, 6.8 compared to 7. Now, look, all right, uh, Nelson, we know that, or we know both of you are Fraser McGuire fanboys. Yeah. Um, I guess the question, pertinent question then is, uh, obviously, you would never say this against Fraser McWright, but Nelson, were you, are you better than Liam Wright then? Were you better than Liam Wright at his age? Is that um... <laughs> No. <laughs> no, well, look, I have to say, I don't think you guys expected this, but I, I'm going to back the Evans boys. I actually think Liam Wright, I would prefer to have Liam Wright in the team. Uh, I just think it's, it's, something, it's something where we differ on. You guys really fall onto the stats. It, it's it's the, the classic Sam Kane and Lachlan Boshier argument where you guys are clearly wrong. Uh, Liam Wright, it's the, it's the intangibles, mate. I think Liam Wright had an absolutely standout Super Rugby season for the Reds. So do I. Um, and for mine, absolutely, I'm picking Liam Wright over Fraser McWright. I mean, we've, uh, seen, we've seen Liam Wright twice in this series and we've seen Fraser McWright once off the bench. Mm. Liam Wright's had two critical errors. Mm. Last week, Fraser McWright came on. He's on the scrum, on the left side of the scrum. Didn't That's break off. They scored in the corner. Debut. Had an excellent debut. Fraser McWright. He, he led in a try by not breaking off the scrum. Five-minute scrum. They, Rico went in the corner. 30 to seven. <laughs> he had a anyway, great debut. We, We've argued enough about it, but I'm just saying, no, look, I love Liam Wright and I certainly love that he brings both that six um, option. I mean, he's even played eight a few times. That is the only better thing he brings. I think he'll grow into it. Um, but anyway. I, I, I like him. He's got Let's, let us move on. Uh, a big nice. shout out to the, the Evans brothers and Rugby Fixation. Go give them a listen. That was the clap, um, back. clap back. That was the clap back. God, never, never start the... Uh, it's the Battle of the Brothers, really, here. Yeah. But uh, anyway, let's move on. All right, top performers. Let's talk about who we haven't already talked about. We've talk, So we've, we've touched on a lot of players. I think the other few that are worth a mention, Tom Wright had a pretty good game. Um, I forget the stat. I think he ran the second most metres for the Wallabies. Um, yeah, Tom, he, Tom Wright had a brilliant debut. He got three tackle busts, three line breaks, 92 metres. Um, he obviously scored his try. Um, he, just, he just looks. He looks composed. He looks chill. It was the other, shit hot. Shit hot. And uh, the other one was when they the All Blacks put the grubber in from about thirty out, and he read it so early before it was on the boot that he cleaned it up and punted it out off his left foot to get the ball back up to about the thirty meter line. Mm-hmm. And he just looked like he was a step ahead of the play. And I just want to talk about that, that clearance kick for one moment because he got some big raps about how accurate he was. I'm sorry. I'm all about process compared to results. Like, don't get me wrong. A 30-meter clearance kick from just in front of your post off your long, wrong foot was fine. But, jeez, he hacked at it. <laughs> he, <laughs> it was an he, ugly... He did look like it was the first time he kicked off his wrong foot, didn't oh, he? Yeah. First time ever. Yeah, pretty much. Um, old, but I'm, I'm not backing him to ever do it again. It, interesting, yeah. the decision to, in his own 22, decide to to run it as well. The confidence to be able to run it from his own 22. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of those ones that if you do that wrong, you look like an idiot. If you do that well... Um, yeah, the other team gets a red card. The other team gets a red card <laughs> and it helps you very much. So. <laughs> that's it. Um, about Artie Sevilla, I don't want to call out only the Aussie players straight away. Yeah. So, Artie Sevilla, I, he just... 
it's taken him a little while to build into this year coming back from his injury. But, man, he was an absolute menace. And he's just like, I don't know how he does it. He's always been big and strong, but he's just starting to look more and more like a body type that fits the number eight. I don't know if I'm just slowly getting used to him there, but he's just a giant human being. Ten runs, 84 metres, six tackle, tackle bus as well. He had that one huge run down the middle where he made at least three at the time. Oh, Two man. line breaks. He's such a freak. He also, he also had 12 from 13 tackles. One <laughs> turnovers. He, he is up there for me as... Just he has to be one of the most versatile best back rowers. I thought he was the best player in the world last year. Yeah, he's one of the, he's one of the biggest difference makers. Yeah, I was surprised you guys didn't back him to come back from an injury this year. He absolutely did wonders for me in fantasy. Uh, I just mean sorry, early, early on in the season. Come back in the first week, mate. Yeah. Like it, that was when he was returning from injury in Super Rugby. Not in as far as I'm concerned, he crushed it from week one for me in fantasy. But um, he didn't. Uh, look, no, anyway, that that run though at the end there, uh, mate. He. It's like he, he was like, I'm going to put the whole team on my shoulders. I'm going to do it myself. Uh, and then he literally ran through, you know, I mean, he got three tackle busts, but he ran, he ran through about five players. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. he, was, he was unreal. Yeah. yeah. Did he, I think he, he tied with the most tackles uh, for the All Blacks or maybe the game. Um, he made just, a lot. Just work right. But um, Can uh, ask where your boy uh, Sam Kane was this weekend? I thought he had a good game. Made a lot of tackles. Yeah, he looked, he, he was probably... An average Hooper-esque this week in terms of... He made 12 tackles. He missed three tackles. So if you're, if you're saying it's all on effort, that's a lot less effort than a, a quite a few other back rowers. He is a brilliant player. He made eight carries. He, he wasn't anywhere near Artie Sevilla. No, he wasn't. But I will say, I did love watching him get smashed by Lockie Swinton, actually. That was fantastic. I Maybe he was injured there. I honestly think he could He got been. hit pretty hard. That was really hard. And it would, it would make sense. Him making 12 tackles and missing three is like almost half of what he normally does. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, look, speaking... I'm, I'm going to... Segwaying us into quickly talking, touching on some other players that did well. Um, Sam Whitelock is often talked about... I don't know how many times I've heard them say that he's never missed a tackle... Um, I w- went back to replay it three times. Taniela Tupo sent him flying. And uh, even though eventually he was tackled, if they count that as a tackle for Sam Whitelock, um, I then understand why he's never missed a tackle. But um, Sam Whitelock made six of eight tackles this week. Thank you. Excellent. Um, but anyway, t- that Taniela Tupo was my segue there. Came on absolutely barnstorming um, cameo at the end of the game there. We talked about that scrum. I mean, all you need to know is he made four carries and from those four carries, he made five tackle busts and scored a try. So, so yeah. I don't know about you guys. I was just, when we got near the line, all I was screaming was get the ball to Tupo. That's, it's yeah. very simple. Harry, Harry and I have said it from the beginning. I think you were agreeing that he should be on the bench. You know, his impact off the bench was absolutely immense. That doesn't mean rushing back in to start. He was absolutely immense off the bench. Give yeah. the man limited minutes when other people are tired and he will kill them. I'm just, I am actually convinced. I was convinced by the Springboks uh, World Cup campaign last year. I'd love having, I would really love to just have the biggest impact bench in the world. You know what I mean? I would love to have like, obviously this is not going to happen and I've said about it before, but having Tupo, Skelton, Nisarani, just like having... You know, all these absolute weapon impact yeah, players yeah. come on there and destroy it. people. You know, I, you just named all players that could potentially be there. One that's overseas, Skelton. It's true. Yep. 
We're, we're dragging on a bit. So quickly, last player for me from this game was Hunter Baisami, I thought was excellent. Straightened up the, the, uh, the line a lot. Still made huge tackles, but just knew when to hit, knew when to hold. Uh, played a bit of first receiver. I, I am loving watching him play, and I think he's been better. I know he hasn't played every game, but I think he's been better for me than, than Bataya. Yeah, look, I think he calmed himself a little bit. I still think we haven't seen enough of Patea calming himself. He's, he loves to just throw the ball, uh, even if it's, you know, definitely not on and, and we want the ball to be slowed down a little bit. Patea, you know, makes those wrong decisions still. Paysami, I think, made better decisions this week. He missed a handful of tackles. If we believe it, he made six of ten. Mate, he plays with a maturity well beyond his years. Yeah, I, I think I think you're bang on. For such a young centre who... When we first thought he came in, was renowned for you know running great lines and putting on big shots. God, his composure and decision making has been brilliant. And he he adapted well this week, I think, to that twelve jersey and mm. how it worked. You know, he did slot in as Harry said at first receiver on occasion, um, and and taking it off Nick White, and that's probably a bit of an up to to Nick White as well. But I think he did very well there. And I think the te- most telling point from that, first of all, yes, huge to slot into twelve in your, what, second or third test ever. Um, but I think the biggest uh, the thing that speaks volumes about that is Nani Laomarpe. Was he even playing? You know what I mean? Like, we didn't see anything from him. Yeah. He was kept under wraps, mate. That's yeah, a huge job. That's a huge check for uh, Paisami. So, excellent. All right. Well, look, huge win. Well done, the Wallabies. Chaos at its best. Um, thank God for that. That's Thank goodness that we won. So we've probably got 10 or 15 minutes, boys, to talk Argentina All Blacks. That's good, because we, we, we don't know all that much about it, do we? Uh, I think that's, that's a stretch to think we can take that long. That's true. All right. Well, Harry, how about you get us off with, let's speed round it. And um, how about you speed round uh, us through very quickly uh, uh, the two Argentina versus Australia XB games, or Australia A, if you will. Yeah, so I, I guess the biggest thing for me was I think their European players got more game time in that second game. They did roll out a lot of their big guns. I don't think Sanchez and some of the other big names played in that first one. But I think first game they went down 14-0, I think it was, and then they scored almost every single point on the back of that and looked pretty dominant. So they were definitely very rusty, but it came good. Um, second game, I thought... The, the physicality was the biggest thing for me. Pablo Matera was, was looking like Pablo Matera and doing Matera things. He's scary for an international side. And Marcos Crema has just turned into the biggest beast in the world. And, I mean, I, I don't know if I said it last week on the podcast, but if I could pick one player's body oh. as the perfect six, it's Marcos Crema. He's just putting huge hits on. He's a tall unit. He plays second row. He is an absolute freak. And, once again, their back row just looks menacing. And I think to to that point, uh, the 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 proof in the pudding, Crema absolutely leveled Pone Fal Masili. Yeah, how do you the, do that? I, I don't know. I still don't know. I'm going to have to, you know, we're going to have to get some scientists to examine that footage. I think he didn't uh, just stop him; he creamed him. Yeah, no, unbelievable. I mean, that never happens to the pony, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, all right. Well, from those two games, look, obviously, as Harry said, a lot of um, international players coming back. Significant improvement from the first game to the second game. So last weekend, big win over the Australia 15. It was the first game 15-19 and the second game ended up, I'm looking for it, 50-something to 24. I forgot now exactly. Um, 
But yeah, they kind of ran away with that one. Um, and that was, yeah, they had their all class pretty much starting 15 out there. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me, in the, look, in the last game, I watched most of the last game last weekend. Um, I don't know. Ma- mainly for me, I took notes of the Australian standout performances. Uh, Nazarani, clearly I trying to get... We don't want to talk about those as the Australian. Who cares? We don't, we don't care. Talking Argentina versus New Zealand. Don't want to talk about the Aussies. We'll talk about them next week. Okay. All right, fine. Well, we'll move on. I'll just Thank say you. Nazarani had a ripper. That's, That's all good. you need to know. Good. Look... Front row, so Paul Tate always puts up his the uh, training squad because he goes out and has a look. I'm not sure if he's even in Australia, to be honest, but he seems to know who the uh, the training squad was from. It's always pretty accurate. And they are generally very accurate. So Almost perfect. you got Tetas Chapado, Montoya, Codella. Codella is a prop. I think he plays over in France. He hasn't played under Ledesma, but I think he's pretty old. I think he's been around for a while and has a fair few caps. So uh, that, that two of those three were their first choice in the World Cup. Yep. Then you got Guido Petty, who's an absolute weapon and one of the best locks in the world, in my opinion. And Matias Alemano, who's maybe a rung down, but still pretty solid. And has obviously played, the two of them played all the way through the World Cup as well. With Lavanini as well. Yeah, with Lavanini, um, who's the red, red card. Red If you want more <laughs> red cards, get him out there. Pablo Matera, obviously the captain. As I, I believe that they play their six as the open side flanker. Marcos Crema, who I've mentioned as uh, the uh, blind side, with Rodrigo Bruni uh, as the number eight. So he's that young number eight coming through last year. We were talking about him all the way through Super Rugby, saying this guy's meant to have massive wraps. Seen some good things from him, but I, honestly, I think it's one of those ones where they probably are trying to develop their long-term eight, and it could be him. They're probably not quite there at the moment. I think... If you're, you're relying on Javier Artego Desio, you got problems. And that's where they were last year. So Bruni could only be a step up, in my opinion. He's no Facundo Issa. Um, yeah. And he's also, I'm forgetting the name, but he's not the, there is one more saving grace, number eight, a younger guy who Paul Tate was talking about, who did feature in um, the yeah. start of Super Rugby. But um, I haven't yeah. seen his name mentioned here, so... Speaking of Kundo, he's been injured and missed the first two training games, but apparently of the training mm-hmm. runs on the weekends against the Australia A sides, but he is back to full contact training this week. So I don't know if they're just going to rush him back in. Oh, it's, uh, right. They'll save him for the Wallabies. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you put him in the put that back number row. eight. Yeah. You put him in that number oh, eight. Jesus. And that is an amazing forward pack. Not just back row. The back row is freakish world class, but mm-hmm. that is a, a really solid forward pack. Yeah, yeah. Petty, Petty's got to be up there with Retallic Petty in terms of the oh. locks. I think I think we can agree on that almost. Oh, well, I think Springbok lock it in. I don't know. I mean, you got uh, obviously over in England as well. It's OJ, the loudest lock in the world. Oh, yeah, Argy Snyman. Argy Snyman. No, but Argy Snyman's not a starter. So, I mean, there, yep. there's a lot of excellent locks around, but Gitter Petty is one of the best. Absolutely. Um, look, back line. Yeah, we roll into the back line. We've got Thomas Kubeli. Uh, oh, no. Come on. You're better than Kubeshi. Um, <laughs> Thomas Kubeshi. Toss, toss a coin, boys. <laughs> yeah, with uh, Nicolas Sanchez. So that's their 9 10. I can't believe they're still play, playing a soccer player at 10, though. <laughs> yeah, I know some some of his uh, fake injuries and dives and stuff are pretty frustrating to see. He, he at, kicks penalty goals though. He kicks penalty goals. He does. Well, at, he's a soccer player. Yeah. At thirty-two years old, you know, he, he doesn't have, you know, a long time left in him leading that that side at ten. Well, but, and that's, that's this. This is perhaps jumping the gun here, but Domingo Miotti, who is yeah. the future, um, had been playing very well, I thought, in those two trial games, but uh, he's 
at the moment hasn't even been listed on the bench, it appears, this weekend. Well, um, I don't think we have a bench. Yeah, we haven't seen we, well, I, I just saw in the Twitter comments on one of Paul Tate's threads that someone listed the, the back three and it was uh, Bertrano, um, oh, it was like Chinchi or like C-I-C-N-C-I-N-C-I. Oh, yeah, the outside centre. Yeah. And then um, Cordero, Santiago Cordero. Oh, um, that's a, that's a, you can't have those three together, though. Well, that, that's that's what everyone was saying is super interesting. Um, why I think, wasn't um, Del- or why wasn't Cruz Magia in there? No, I know Cruz Magia plays nine. Cruz, Cruz Magia plays. He plays ten, twelve. Yeah, everything. So I don't know um, what the deal is, but uh, you would you would ex- I would have expected Miotti to be on the bench. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, he, he might still be. I think he's someone that will take them forward. They've got Imhoff, Delgi, and Carreras as their back three or their yeah their their wings and fullback. And, and, and who was interesting that Juan Imhoff is back in the team. He hasn't played since the 2015 semi final. He had an awesome season. Is it for racing over there? I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So um, he's had a big year and in good form. They've also got um, Emiliano Borfeschi. Craig's <laughs> you always stuff me, aren't It's Bob Fairly. He's the uh, he's the only one. Probably not the sh- flipper coin. Craig's of years of years of your abuse. You've done enough. Um, yeah, he, he's also he's come across from England. So the people from Europe actually only got out of isolation last Tuesday. So there hasn't been a lot of time for them to actually be training with the squad. Hence, a lot of them didn't get you know much of a crack last weekend, and, and we'll probably see them trickle in. He started on the. But- no, no, Buffelli's injured. Sorry, just to be clear, yeah, Buffelli's injured. He would have definitely, most definitely, been starting at eleven. Oh, yeah. The only reason that Imhoff is starting is because Buffelli is injured. Yeah, Imhoff is he's thirty-two years old as well. He's had a he's been yeah. playing for Argentina for years, but as you said, he hasn't played for the Pumas since the twenty fifteen World Cup. It's been a while. That's so, a long time. Yeah. Um, so that Buffelli will definitely be back. So they're bringing back their guns to play Australia next week. Buffelli and Facundo Issa will be back. You know. Anyway. In the centres, they've got uh, on debut Chocobares, and they've also got Orlando, who he's you know their their typical outside centre. Built like a flanker. Sorry. Built like a flanker. He he <laughs> is, and uh, Geronimo de la Fuente is obviously in the squad as well, but he's he's injured, he's injured as well, and so and he you know, I mean he's their captain, right? Like he's oh they yeah the Haguares captain. Yeah, I think Chocobares is someone that we probably don't know enough about, but someone that Paul Tate has touted very highly as what um, yeah. as the future for Argentina. So I think he's uh, I think he's played fullback as well, but I think he's destined to play in the twelve jerseys yeah, from what we understand. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Lucas Mensa and Santiago Sakino, another couple of players who were unlikely to see, I think, this week as well. So, reserve prop there. Sakino normally would have been in the twenty-three, I would say for sure. Not so sure about Mensa. Um, Oh, I just want to just touch on that, sorry, as well, was Carreras. Um, he had an absolute blinder, particularly in the last um, game against Australia. He's he's class, absolutely. If, you, if you're shifting Buffeshi <laughs> to, uh, to wing, then mm. you've got to be good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly right. Mm. Guys... What do you reckon? Uh, we we won't we won't guess the All Blacks team at the moment. What do you think? Who's gonna Who's gonna win? Tuffy, um, I'm going to go New Zealand. I might be controversial. I don't know. Uh, I think we often talk about how the Crusade, like the Crusaders, the All Blacks like to bounce back after a loss, and un- just unfortunately for Argentina, they get to face that vengeance this week. And and the Tri Nations are still on the line. So when there's a trophy to win, they're extra dangerous. Correct. Yeah. Look, I- 
I mean, we'll, we'll touch on a little bit of Argentina's chances throughout the entire comp um, with a listener question. But look, I, I think it's very tough for them into, into this match. It's their first professional match uh, for, for most of these players in a very long time. I think they're going to be better than we all give them credit for, to be honest with you. I think, I think, I think they're going to be pretty impressive. But yeah, I, I can't see how the All Blacks don't win this by 10, 15 points at least. Would love them to beat the All Blacks, though. That'd be great. Yeah. Mind you, I did tip New Zealand by like 30 last week. So what do I know? And you tipped the Wallabies the week before, didn't you? <laughs> you, you mentioned the listener question. Yeah, exactly. I'm none from four. Uh, we, we mentioned the listener questions. Mitch Evans sent a question through. What would be a good campaign for Argentina? Would three to four close losses be considered okay by their standards or do they need a win? What do you guys think? I've had a little bit of a look over what their success rate has been since the inception of the rugby championships since 2012. And on four occasions, they've had no wins. On three occasions, they've had one win. And on one occasion, 2018, they beat both South Africa and Australia. Three of their five wins against South Africa, two against Australia, They've got two matches against New Zealand. They have about a 0% chance of winning either of those. And they probably have a 5 to 10% chance of winning one of them against Australia, depending what we put out. Let's, let's be realistic for them. They're very underprepared. Most of them haven't played rugby for 12 months. Half the team's had COVID. They've been in, in Australia for a while. They've been away from their families. Um, they should have some good cohesion you'd think built up over that time but a lot of their players legitimately started training with them last week it is going to be a, a very tough time for them I think if they're getting three or four, like four close matches I think that's very positive for them um, especially if they do have the chance to give a few guys debuts like Chocobaras and a, a few other guys I, I think it would be quite good for them to, to do that don't get me wrong it's Argentina, and we've seen how bad Australia can be on a bad day. They could definitely take a win off Australia, but I don't see them taking a win off New Zealand. Yeah, look, I'll say I think I'll definitely give them more of a chance than 5 to 10% uh, against the Wallabies. Uh, I think um, certainly the cohesion factor. It's just whilst some of the international players have only just flown in, the rest of them, they came over here very early. They've been over here for about, what is it, six or eight weeks now? So they've, they've been over here for a long time, um, doing nothing. But, but, no, they, but they've just been training away because they've been out. Um, it's not like they've been getting around town. They've been out isolated, uh, out at camp, um, just putting in the hard yards. So um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I'd be surprised if they, <laughs> they beat the All Blacks, but uh, I think they're certainly in for a shot against us, particularly because... There's a lot more experience in that South Africa team. Um, so, yeah. Argentina. Sorry, in that Argentina team. I, I, think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think they're in the same position in terms of the development of their mm. side that Australia and New Zealand are. Mm. I think they're a couple of years ahead of us in that development. And I think they'll be extremely disappointed if they don't come away with at least a win I out of their four games. I, yeah. I don't think there's any way they'll be happy with four close losses. Yeah, no, I think they've definitely... I reckon they've put... They've put well, they're putting all their eggs in the first game against Australia. Mm. That's the game they've circled in the calendar. Yeah. Um, they're going to have their play, hopefully have Buffelli and Facundo Issa back. And uh, yeah. I think that's, that's the game they're going to... They're going to have a, a really solid side. And I mean, a lot of these, these players were in the World Cup squad playing together with them. So this is a good test for cohesion. Is cohesion the most important thing? Because that's what they'll have over the Aussies. But they won't have you know, the experience of, of what we've had four matches against the All Blacks 
um, leading into this. The Wallabies will be diving into tackles to try and get another red card, that's for sure. No, no. <laughs> Swinton's already gone. No, I mean the, the runners, the attackers. Be trying to suck in the red cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. unfortunately for Argentina as well, the, the, the All Blacks have had a, a four-game warm-up against Australia to um, get ready for them. So that doesn't bode well. But um, Guys, one more listener question. One more. Excellent. Having seen the Bledisloe games, who, who's the early calls for the first round picks in 2021 draft rugby? Who's the question from? Uh, Mitch, Evans again. Oh, he's basically on the podcast, really. Should we, just, should we just get him to phone in now, really, every week? I think he should host. <laughs> I need a good host. We talked about that, Nelson, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what was, sorry, what was the question? It was oh. who first picks 2020? Who, who would you be picking after this low for early next round? Ne- next draft rugby draft next rugby. year. Oh, well, for me, it's very simple. Um, Go on. It doesn't even matter about how much he's played or hasn't played in this... Um, Bledisloe series. I'm picking Will Jordan first, mate. That's who I'm picking. So you've learned nothing from Bledisloe, is that what you're saying? I'm picking Will Jordan first in fantasy next year. I mean, I'm not going to give one name. I'm going to answer the question properly. Um, Artie Sevilla, number one, I think has shown that he's going to be the best back rower again. I think he's really solidified that in the last probably... I guess the back end of Super Rugby Aotearoa and uh, and all the way through the Bledisloe. I think Nick White's stock should go up a long way, having seen the running game that he can offer. And with Joe Powell moving on, I think that his, his stock's going to go up a long, long way. And I think what we're seeing from Richard Moonga is that he oh. is going to be easily the MVP if you're looking positionally. Surely. Yeah. Surely, your surely first pick, he's number one. Surely your first pick is Moonga. And uh, Artie Sevilla is probably... Boys, I'm, I'm calling it, mate. I, pick, I picked Richie first this year. He delivered the goods. It's Will Jordan next year, my friends. I'm telling you. Okay, mate. Richie Moe was the best this year, and he's just proved in this low that he is an integral part, integral cog of their side. And God, he is good. Oh, mate, you can't beat him. I've got one more for you. Lucan Salakaloto. His work rate through Super Rugby AU was excellent, and I think he only raised his stocks up through the international season before he got injured as well. I think he's going to be a really, really important lock in draft rugby next year. Also, look, a player who will probably feature in my team next year, and I think I'll be able to pick him up without much uh, competition. A little bit of nostalgia here, but uh, the bus, Julian Sevilla's back for the Hurricanes. He's signed. Do you know what the question is? You're definitely not... Again, once again, has not played on Bledisloe Cup. Oh, sorry. Let me just... Who, <laughs> who, who was in the fantasy finals this year? Hey, it doesn't matter. Look, I, I will throw in one name from the, the Bledisloe. His stocks have gone up. He will not be a first-round pick. But Angus Bell, oh, sorry, God, he is good. Mate, give this guy... He'll captain the Waratahs next year, right? He, he will be the starting um, loose head prop for the, the Waratahs by the end oh, of the well, in that vein, Harry Wilson, how much high? I mean, he went pretty high this year, but he's going he's gonna to go even higher next year. You know, yeah, to, true. He's going to be aware. He's going to be looking for the second round for yeah. sure, I'd say. Yeah. All right. So, um, That's it. Anyway, don't worry. We'll have many, many a pod to talk fantasy picks uh, before the season starts. But uh, it's great that we... Know, well, the last thing we should talk about is that we know the dates, which are fantastic. So Super Rugby AU kicking off the 19th of February and Super Rugby Aotearoa kicking off the 26th. Um, which yeah. is great. It means we can kind of run a in-sync tournament again like we did last year. The, the perfect thing about it is because uh, Super Rugby AU has the qualifying final, May 8, mate, lock it in, the grand final for both 
of the competitions on that Saturday. Cancel anything you have on. I don't care if it's a wedding. I don't care what it is. Be free that day because that is going to be a bumper of a day. That's it. Block it out in your calendar now. And uh, also, look, if you aren't watching us on YouTube, um, you won't be seeing my video, my background, my Zoom virtual background, which is uh, my a screenshot of my cancellation of Foxtel because um, Channel 9 here in Australia, how good. Channel 9 and Stan bringing us Super Rugby next year. Very exciting times, free-to-air TV and just kind of, uh, as it's been talked about a lot, but just new opportunities. So new, fresh uh, people looking into this and how they can promote rugby. Good, good signs for, for Australian rugby moving forward. If we can get it more on Fred Air, we can get people wanting to grow you know, this, the broadcast and the sport, which it looks like we now have. We're going to be the premier sport for this new, uh, I suppose... Streaming platform, yeah. Yeah, yeah streaming platform. Stan Sports. Um, Stan Sports. Uh, very good signs for Australian rugby moving forward. And I think there's been a lot of talks behind the scenes of how they can, you know, improvise and make some some new changes and very bad signs for ko sports i've lost nelson they've lost you on the day they've lost you and i as soon as i get to have a breather i'm going to cancel my membership that's 100 percent of their membership is gone and we and this poll is accurate and they've also had six or seven people cancel following them on twitter all my accounts but they've all cancelled their following for them and jumped across the stand and stand sports huge massive well, guys, look, that's going to wrap us up, I think, for another week, another episode of the Draft Rugby Show. Thank you for tuning in. Again, uh, the Christmas run, please uh, you know, subscribe, like, and get after us on the podcast and on YouTube. And we'll catch you again in the next one. Hey, right.